0: Today's podcast from The Book Collector is Brian Alderson's obituary of Iona Opie, born in Colchester in 1923 and died in Petersfield in 2017. It was published in The Book Collector in the spring issue for 2018 and is read here by Virginia Ferguson.
1: Iona Opie Iona Margaret Balfour Opie Nay Archibald, born Colchester, Essex, 13th October, 1923, died Petersfield, Hampshire, 23rd October, 2017. The first room on your left, as you came into the large square hallway of Westerfield House, was Iona's room, or the study. The next door along was to Peter's room, or the library with its massive bookcase double-banked with rare children's books, and its desk whose drawers contained over 3,000 octavo, duodecimo, and sexto-decimo nursery treasures in their thin card or sugar-paper wrappers. Appropriately, the bibliographies were there too, but the study, with shelves going up to the ceiling on two walls, contained the multitude of reference and other works including Charles Dodgson's run of notes and queries that helped to bring authority to Iona and Peter's lifelong engagement with children's culture and its representation in print. And here, too, was Iona's massive array of files that preserved the oral records and correspondence that were her passion. It was, of course, all a glorious accident from the beginning, Peter, whose father had died in a horse race in India in 1936 when he was 17, had been schooled at Eton, and instead of going to Cambridge, had embarked immediately on an authorial career, publishing a ruminative autobiography within a year of leaving school. I want to be a success, 1939. This had fallen into the hands of Iona Archibald, who was five years younger than Peter, and had been brought up mostly by her mother and educated at a genteel boarding school. Her father was much absent, being director of the Wellcome Research Laboratory in Khartoum. She had had thoughts of going to university to study perhaps botany, but when the Second World War came, had joined the meteorological section of the WAAF. Impressed by the young author who wanted to be a success... She wrote him a fan letter, to which she received a 45-page reply. He was a speedy writer. And an invitation to breakfast, a custom of the times. He himself, having been invalided out of the army, was working for Thomas Todd, a publisher of reference books, and in 1943, after regular meetings, he persuaded Iona to marry him. We know not what long-term plans they nurtured for themselves at this indeterminate period of the war. Peter was still writing, and in 1945 published a slim volume of stories, having held the nettle, while Iona, becoming pregnant, had had to leave the WAAF and was awaiting motherhood. At this point, in a field at Worsley in Bedfordshire, where the publishing firm had been evacuated, a now famous ladybird accidentally arrived on the scene and prompted the momentous question as to why she should be told to fly away home the small investigation that that evoked yielded the large discovery that there lay before them a vast resource of popular law whose systematic examination had never been undertaken It was probably lucky, too, that neither of them had undergone the formal practices of academia, so that their inquiring minds and gifts of orderly intelligence allowed them to fashion their own rules for setting about the study of phenomena that lay well below the salt at high table. The economics of the project were daunting. Iona had to resign from her meteorological duties, which at least gave her time, even after the birth of her son James, to lay foundations for recording oral recollections from an interested public, while Peter, still with a day job, began the congenial task of seeing what the printed sources might yield. In 1946, he also published a third book, The Case of Being a Young Man, which won the chosen book prize along with the then substantial sum of 337 pounds and 10 shillings, and on the strength of that, he decided to go freelance, although there was a fail-safe provision in the wealth and sympathy of his widowed mother. At first they lived in Kelso Place, Kensington, with easy access to the reading room of the British Museum Library, a place which eventually gave Peter the shudders. In 1947, however... With a second child expected, they decided to move to the country, to a cottage at Waybourne, near Farnham in Surrey. And here it was, with a later move to a larger house, Rockbourne at Alton in Hampshire, that in 1951 the seven years' work on the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes was completed. Much work in the final stages had been undertaken at the Bodleian Library, where by another happy accident, they were commended to the Oxford University Press, through whose enthusiastic collaboration most of their later work would also be published. The dictionaries set new standards in the bibliography of children's literature, as did Peter's Room, become a model site for the exhibition of the skills of taste and technique in book collecting. However, with its four closely printed pages of acknowledgments, the dictionary was a monument also to the correspondence and the oral records that were filed in Iona's room, which were pointing to a wider sphere of interest. Evidence of this had indeed been apparent long before the dictionary was finished, when in 1947 the two scholars published, through the declining house of Williams and Norgate, a little volume of the traditional rhymes of youth. I saw, Esau. A 188 street rhymes which were the property of children themselves, changing from place to place and generation to generation without benefit of print. There was no true predecessor for such a book, with its learned, humorous annotations and augmentations, and during the next nine years at Alton, the couple applied their now highly practiced command of folklore research to the composition of the groundbreaking The Lore and Language of Schoolchildren, 1959. Although momentarily in 1957 Iona had invaded the bibliographer's territory with her solace editing of the text of a very rare children's book, Original Ditties for the Nursery, London, John Harris, 1805, It seems likely that hers was an ascendant force in the making of law and language, and its three remarkable successors. These were to be created on a new stamping ground, since Rockbourne could no longer hold the family, two sons now and a daughter, the ever-growing library, and a parallel collection of the toys, games, and ephemera of childhood. In 1959, the Opie's moved over the hill from Alton to the substantial Westerfield, now Mel's House in West Lis, which was to see the climax of their fame. It was here that the two of them completed Children's Games in School and Playground, 1969, and here that in 1982, halfway through its successor, the majestic The Singing Game, 1985. Peter died suddenly from a heart attack, what proved to be the caesura in Iona's life. It is fairly well known that through all the years of work on their books, the two had lived semi-monastic lives devoted to their sustained labours. Those two rooms at Westerfield were indeed like territories where they worked separately, communicating by notes except at supper time and living to a Spartan working programme. But with the need now to fashion a new pattern, Iona's character asserted itself in new ways. She proudly held true to the rigid standards of Opie's scholarship in the completion of The Singing Game, and its successor, Children's Games with Things, 1997. But the rigidity of the routines changed dramatically. Early evidence of this was in a return, almost to girlhood. She had had converted in Westerfield's great wild garden a hideaway where she could sleep out on summer nights. She took up collage making and kite flying, while a mother goosical tendency led her to have ponds sunk for ducks and geese. Later on, she raised bantams until the fox got them all, and of course. She negotiated the sale of the books in the Opie collection to the Bodleian Library at half its valued price of a million pounds. The appeal to raise the necessary five hundred thousand pounds, led by the Prince of Wales, generated rather more and stranger activities than the garden games. Visitors arrived. Dark-suited Japanese scholars were entertained to a pub lunch out in the sticks on a blazing summer day. The great Canadian collector Beth Bentley spent a hilarious visit helping to stick tiny book labels into each book before it took its way to Oxford. Sebastian Walker, the publisher, organised not only a picture book sequel to the nursery rhyme collections, Tail Feathers from Mother Goose, but commissioned a new edition of "I Saw Esau with illustrations by Maurice Sendak, and that led to the two of them touring the United States sharing comic tales of their ailments. Unsurprisingly, the money was raised in record time, and the names of Petrus and Iona Opie were inscribed on Bodley's panel of donors. Although the sequence of books on child culture was complete, Iona also fulfilled one of Peter's ambitions in compiling what became the Oxford Dictionary of Superstitions, 1989, aided by an assistant, Monica Tatham. More delightfully and reassuring proof of her capacity as a writer, she completed an unsentimental anthology, Babies, 1990, that she had begun with Peter and published The People in the Playground, 1993, her record of two and a half years observing playtime at Liss Primary School. Noting the often cheekily, scatological verses that the children brought her and the seasonal rota of their games, it was the last of the Opie books, although there emerged a fruitful collaboration with the American illustrator, Rosemary Wells, in the production of several more collections of nursery rhymes. This side of the caesura there were shadows as well as bright new experiences. Soon after the excitements of the opiate peel, there were hip replacements, a loss of mobility through arthritis, and an increasing deafness. But these were met with a customary resilience, and only just before her move from Westerfield to a comfortable nursing home where she died, she still played a mean game of Scrabble. The botanists may have lost a possible ornament to their profession when Iona wrote that first letter to Peter but there are plenty of them about. She became a uniquely distinguished member of a profession that she and Peter forged for themselves. Brian Alderson
0: That was Virginia Ferguson reading Iona Opie's obituary from the Book Collector of Spring 2018. If you enjoyed this Book Collector podcast, you can find many more on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or via our website. Why not check out our Great Collector's Playlist for more podcasts featuring the biggest names in book collecting and bibliography? Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.